Now, you're in the WOR Sports Zone with Pete McCarthy. Hi, welcome to the show on a Friday night uh, in the Sports Zone as we will take you until 9 o'clock tonight. Stan Fischler, the hockey maven, uh, will be ending his television broadcasting career uh, at the end of this hockey season. He will join us at 6.35, and uh, we'll get some stories from him. Uh, we'll have a, an update and, and more from you know our interview yesterday uh, with Mark Gastineau, which you may have heard. Uh, so we'll get you, you know, the, the, the latest on that coming up as well. And, of course, uh, plenty of Mets talk here, as we always like to do in the sports zone. 800-321-0710, the number to get involved. Again, 800-321-0710. As for the Amazons today, a 4-4 tie with the Detroit Tigers. Welcome to spring training. Uh, but it was a big day for Stephen Matz, and Matz had been just terrible in the first two starts of his spring an inning in two thirds 10 runs allowed in those two starts and a guy who has always been as long as he is healthy he is you know potentially a real good pitcher but he had reached a point where it was in question whether he would be able to make this rotation this year uh not because of health but because of ineffectiveness and you know this goes back to last year where he did not finish the year well he was clearly hurt at the time as well but uh you know there were some issues that popped up in those last eight starts or so where he really had a tough time getting outs and Matt's bounced back today in a big way it was a huge start for him uh four scoreless innings one walk allowed two strikeouts most important to me and the thing that I've been harping on with Matt's is last year he pitched far better with nobody on base, where he could throw from the full windup than when he was thrown from the stretch. Uh, if you look at the first two starts of spring, the big problems for him, the walks occurred when there were men on base, when he was throwing from the stretch. Today, with men on base, Matt's held the Tigers to 0 for 7, and there was a caught stealing there as well. Uh, so a much better day in that regard for Steven Matz, whether it was a, a mechanical adjustment, whatever worked for him, uh, he was able to, to get that done, and it was a big start. Zach Wheeler... It's pitching his butt off this spring. Robert Gesellman and Seth Lugo was on the show yesterday. Uh, those two have pitched pretty well this spring. Now, those guys are a little easier to slide into the bullpen. Mats isn't going to be in that situation. He's either in the big league rotation or he's going to be in the AAA rotation. Uh, but this was a, a real positive step for Stephen Matz. Let's hear from Matz after the game today. And he was asked, you know, what was different today? I think just the command of my fastball. I threw a lot of fastballs today, and that's something you want to do early in camp. And uh, I really felt like I had command of my fastball today. Does it ease his mind? Uh, Yeah, I think so. I think uh, it's huge for me because I'm feeling healthy, so I can really put in a lot of work in between starts if something's not feeling right. And uh, that's what I did, and it really really helped me out this week. And, uh, you know, with a new staff, you're getting judged freshly. Was it tough struggling, frustrating to struggle during that time? Yeah, it was frustrating because I had a really good offseason. I was feeling really healthy, and I was really excited to get out there and, you know, show these guys what I can do. And, uh, you know, it's definitely frustrating, but uh, that's why they're going to be so great, and they are great, and they've been great in the past, is they kind of saw through it and got with me and just let me know I wasn't far off, and it, uh, it really helped me out. 
Yeah, so for Steven Matz, and you could tell he he's looking to get outs those first two starts. He wasn't just working on stuff. And uh, it has to be a relief for him to get this done today, to do it with you know, a new manager in place. Uh, you have some fresh eyes on you, obviously not all throughout the organization, but in, in certain key spots and in, in certain decision makers. So, uh, you know, a good day for Steven Matz is something to alleviate at least a little bit of stress over the course of this spring. You know, the biggest thing is always been you know get these pitchers to the finish line healthy but the way Matt's had gotten those first two starts it was performance as well in his case and now putting a little bit of that to rest I mean he still has an ERA over 15 this spring but he's moving in the right direction and you hope uh, whatever the the problems were they're addressed and uh, he can move on from here uh, another you know just a little couple of tidbits from the game today and we'll, we'll get into the free agency stuff which is uh, wild what's going on right now in major league baseball but uh, Kevin Plowecki home run today he's hitting 333 this spring he has had a big time spring and it's not just with the bat it's what he does defensively you know there was some talk today down in Port St. Lucie that Plowecki could be the catcher that sees right-handed pitching in a platoon with Travis Darno, and Darno would see the lefties. Uh, I'm going to continue saying it. Kevin Ploiecki is going to end up with the majority of the playing time behind the plate this year. Kevin Ploiecki is going to take that job. And he's had a great spring. He could go opposite field. He's got doubles power. He's not going to hit a ton of home runs. Did hit one out today. He doesn't have the potential, the ceiling offensively of Travis Darno, but... He's a lot more steady. He's better defensively. You loved what you heard last night from Noah Syndergaard, who said, you know, Plowecki went out to the mound, gave him a, a kick in the butt to get him going. And Plowecki kind of chuckled after being told what uh, Syndergaard said uh, about their meeting at the mound and that, you know, he, he dressed it up a little bit. But whatever it is, Syndergaard gave Plowecki some credit for getting him uh, where he needed to be, and if that's something that Pawlecki could do in game, you haven't seen a lot of that over the years from Travis Darno. At least you know you never hear a pitcher talk about it after a game. Uh, I, I think there are a lot of things moving, um, you know, for Pawlecki to be that guy, and it's important that he is because now Jonathan Lucroy off the board reportedly signs a one-year deal with the Oakland Athletics. Uh, you have Carlos Gonzalez goes back to the Colorado Rockies. You know, Mark Feinsand reported that Gonzalez had a three year contract that was offered by the Rockies last year and they were in talks about an extension and he turned that down ends up signing for a fraction of as much per year and only a one year contract Mike Lustakis who was looking for big time money this winter signed last night with the Kansas City Royals only guaranteed six and a half million dollars one year six and a half million dollars and we talked a lot about Mustakis at the end of this summer. I thought he would be a real good fit for the Mets at the time. Uh, I didn't love the Mets, you know, bringing back as Drupal Cabrera. How about this? As Drupal Cabrera is going to make eight and a half million dollars this year. That was the option the Mets picked up on him. Mustakis is going to make six and a half million dollars all year guaranteed, and then he can pick up a, an extra million or two uh, through incentives. But he's making less than as Drupal. 
Cabrera. And that is just mind-blowing how uh, this offseason has worked out. And there are reasons for that beyond you know just the, the players that they are. Moustakas has draft pick compensation tied to him. Uh, you got to give up a second-round pick, some international draft money. Teams do not want to part with any of those things in the way that they value. And, and everyone, every team seems to value these things in the same way now and seems to look at these players as a, you know, a finite number a definite number that you could put on them and say this is the value of this player it is two his war is two if you know i'm sure they use something beyond that but it just feels like every team values every player the same way and you know once you crack the code to that degree you're going to have some things we've had over the course of this offseason which is players and their agents not adjusted quick enough to the environment asking for a little bit too much and Major League teams are not budging. They're not moving on things. They don't set you know, a budget at the start of the year or the start of the offseason and say, hey, our payroll's going to be X amount, and then go out and fill it. I think there are a lot more teams operating like the Mets are now, where, hey, if there's a value, we'll jump into it, but we don't have a set number. And for a lot of teams, that frees them up to, well, you know, Mike Moustakis isn't that much better than what we have here, especially we have to give up this or that. You know, Neil Walker is still out there as a free agent, which uh, boggles your mind. And again, you know, Jonathan Lucroy just signed today. He was expected to be one of the big catching free agents this offseason. And Lucroy had a terrible season last year, offensively and defensively. Yes, that factors in, but to wait until March to finally sign, boy. Uh, and I'll tell you what. I, I told you, you know, I know a lot of callers have asked about Greg Holland, uh, Jake Arietta talk that's popped up. It's not the pitchers that are the ones settling for these one-year deals right now. It's the position players. They're the ones taking the quote-unquote pillow contracts, you know, the one-year prove-it deals, go out, show what you could do. Pitchers, they shouldn't do that. There's too much risk for a pitcher. You got to hold out as long as you can. I think if you're a pitcher and try to find that multi-year deal, hope somebody gets hurt at camp. As you know, rough as that sounds, but that's the reality of it. But I don't see, you know, still Holland, Arietta. I don't see those guys settling uh, for one-year deals. But the position players, that's where it is in what has been just a a wonky offseason here. Uh, 800-321-0710, the number to call. Again, 800-321-0710. Uh, we could take some calls. We're going to have Stan Fischler, TV hockey legend in this town. Uh, he'll be with us at 635 as he'll be uh, stepping away from MSG after 40-plus years on Islanders telecast, talk about the Rangers and the Devils as well. Uh, so we look forward to talking with the hockey maven uh, coming up again at 635. It's a Sports Zone with Pete McCarthy on The Voice of New York, 710 WOR. It's the WOR Sports Zone with Pete McCarthy on 710 WOR. So a nice day for Steven Matz with four scoreless innings. Kevin Ploiecki, a home run. Ahmed Rosario got a couple of at-bats today as he comes back from the knee, groin, hamstring thing that he was dealing with, whatever it is. Uh, so he seems to be on the way back. So uh, some good things as far as that goes. Uh, the ugly part today was, again, 
Hansel Robles uh, giving up four runs, another homer. Uh, he got through the inning and ended up getting the three outs. But my goodness, it's been a brutal spring for Hansel Robles. And, and this is one of the keys for the Mets as far as you, know, you start looking at this pitching staff. It cannot be free passes because a guy's been in the majors for a while or he doesn't have options. If Rafael Montero, Hansel Robles are not one of your 12 best pitchers will probably be 12 pitchers on the Mets opening day roster. They can't be around. Period. Whatever you got to do, you got to do. But the best guys are the ones that have to be the ones that go north, that uh, are with the club, that are active Thursday, March 29th, when the Mets toast the Cardinals in their home opener and uh, opening day. That's the way it's got to be. And for Robles, and we've seen it time and time again, right? He gives the home run. He gives a point. I can't confirm whether he pointed or not today. I didn't get to see the game. Uh, but there have been some brutal performances from Robles uh, over the course of this spring. And those two uh, certainly jump out at you. So uh, there's opportunity for some of the the young relievers in Mets camp who you know are getting some outs and not having these kinds of blow-ups routinely. Um but it's got to be the best 12. It can't just be, you know, Hanzo Robles has looked good for a couple of weeks at a time in the past. We're going to keep him around. Or, you know, we want to don't want to risk losing Rafael Montero. Come on. If they're good, if they're one of the best, if they deserve to be there, great. If not, you got to make a move. You can't have these guys carrying, you can't carry them along. Um, so I, I think, you know, that's where every Mets fan's got to be with those two. We, we've seen it. Too often the the, the blow ups from those two over uh, the last couple of years. Eight hundred three two one zero seven ten. The number to get involved. Let's go to John and Paramus. What's going on, John? Yeah, you know, there's an article in today's Times about pitchers. I uh, said around some of the Dodger pitchers' uh, philosophy of them going five innings all out and not worrying about you know extending the game or anything instead of holding back. Yeah. Just go out for five innings and go all out for five innings and let the uh, bullpen take over. That's the trend. <laughs> It seems to be the trend now. That would play. I mean, of course, it's it's somewhat. Now, they don't even want to go seven anymore, and it's going to place such an emphasis on relief pitchers. And I don't know if these pitchers, you know, the mark of a great pitcher is that he could go more nine in the old days. But you know, with durability, go seven, eight, nine innings, two hundred innings a year. I don't think these pitchers, these starter pitchers, are going to get these big bucks anymore because they're only a five inning. They're like a part time pitcher. They're a five-inning pitcher. Well, we did see that. We saw it the other way around because you Darvish still got paid decently. We know Jake Arrieta is still a free agent. Shohei Otani, of course, had a ton of interest throughout the sport, but he almost doesn't count because it's such a weird situation. They didn't have to pay him much. And the only guys that really got paid this offseason were the relievers. The value of the relievers has never been higher. Now, it used to always be at the trade deadline. All right, you got to find a guy to fill out your bullpen. You know, no big deal. You could find him. I and mean, look at what the Yankees were able to get a couple of years ago when they traded Andrew Miller and Aroldis Chapman, and those guys made huge differences for the Cubs and the Indians in the World Series that uh, that year. And, you know, those are the guys that are valuable. Those are the guys getting paid. The issue is, though, you can't have everybody in your rotation throwing five innings and think you're going to survive the season with your bullpen throwing as many innings as your starting rotation. That will not last over 162 games. I think it works in the postseason. I think it works for some short periods of time. But you do need innings eaters to be a part of things, and that's why I thought the Mets needed to get Jason Vargas. And I think what you'll see from the Mets, Syndergaard, DeGrom, 
they're going to pitch their innings. Vargas, you know, he'll get five or six, and that's probably what you're going to see asked of Mats, Harvey, and, and whoever else ends up getting some starts for the Mets this year. And it will be more reliant on the bullpen because you know, this so, is the yeah. trend. Guys don't even talk about going nine anymore. No, but you know, David Cohn on the, on TV last night, he goes, these, the relievers, the middle, these are the guys you signed first now. Yep. It used to be the starters. Now you go out and you get these middle relievers, these guys in the middle and the end of the game. Those are the guys that are getting signed first, just like you said, and those are the guys that are getting the money. Yeah, it, it's changed, and, and thanks for the call, John. But it's, uh, you know, there's a lot of differences in, in the sport as the math kind of takes over, and I, I like the math. I think you can learn a lot from the math. It's not the be-all, end-all, uh, but there's a lot of information there you, you could take from it. But one of the things that you see is, hey, well, the starters go max ever five innings, and then you know the bullpen will, will find a way to, to cover it up and, and, and get through. You get multiple innings from this guy. Look what the Astros have done, and what they're going to be fascinating this year because uh, they go out get Garrett Cole. They added a big starter to their rotation, uh, but you saw what they did, you know, Game 7 of the Championship Series, the World Series. They went to starters to pitch at the end of those. And Lance McCullers and Charlie Morton and Brad Peacock. And they still have like seven, eight starters that are legitimate in, in potentially in that rotation. Colin McHugh being one of them. And they're going to have a lot of those guys pitch out of the pen and, and pitch multiple innings and have longer stints. And for the Mets, if they stay healthy, that is an option for them. I wouldn't be in a rush to put Mats or Wheeler in the bullpen because of the health problems they've had over the years. But Gisellman, Lugo, if those guys can wrap their heads around it. We had Lugo on the show last night. He just wants to be on the big league roster. He doesn't care what his role is. That's great. You can take advantage of that. And you can have Lugo come in throw the sixth and the seventh. If he's going well, pitch the eighth, too, if your spot in the order doesn't come up. And you can save the pen in that way also. Uh, so, you know, just some, some differences in how the, the game is, uh, is managed now. Um, all right, we're looking forward to this. We'll get some more Mets calls coming up. 800-321-0710. Uh, we will have our Mets spring training report. Anthony McCarron, SNY, will be with us at 7.05. Uh, we'll hit, uh, you know, some college basketball in the eight o'clock hour as well. But looking forward to this when we come back. Stan Fischler. Uh, New York TV hockey legend, uh, the hockey maven, uh, will be with us. He is retiring from MSG after 40-plus years, and he has seen it all, uh, just about, in the game of hockey. Uh, and we will uh, we will chat with him, get some stories from him, and uh, have a good time with that when we come back. Sports Zone with Pete McCarthy on The Voice of New York, 710-WOR. We're back in the WOR Sports Zone with Pete McCarthy. Very excited for this. Uh, a great pleasure to welcome to the show the hockey maven, uh, Stan Fischler, who uh, will be moving on from MSG after this hockey season, after 45 years there and, and many, many decades uh, covering the NHL. And Stan, it's great to have you on the show. How are you? I'm feeling terrific, thank you, and I'm glad I'm on the show with you guys. What uh, what has the last week been like since the announcement? And you know, I'm, I'm sure uh, a lot of the attention I've seen on MSG, plenty of the the old highlights and old moments uh, uh being played left and right. Well, it's been uh, just a tremendous amount of fun, and uh, what's interesting is a lot of people who I'd forgotten about uh, sort of came out of the woodwork. Mm-hmm. One of them was a guy I knew from high school, Eastern District High School in Williamsburg, and uh, he left the name Gordon, and I couldn't place the name Gordon. And then he said, well, 
I played tuba in the high school band, but I played trombone in the high school band, and we only had one tuba, tuba guy, so I knew who it was. <laughs> Making connections, even uh, you know, with the uh, you know, with all of this, and um, you know, certainly yeah, it's been cool to see. I got, uh, I got four dinner invitations out of it. Oh, that's a win! You take advantage of them yet? <laughs> I know, but I'm stacking <laughs> them up. And you, uh, you want to spend time with your family? That that's the reason for this? Yes. Um, unfortunately, I don't have uh, my kids in Bensonhurst or Borough Park or Brooklyn. Uh, my my older guy Ben lives in Portland, Oregon, and my younger guy Simon lives in Israel. And uh, Ben has two boys. Uh, my oldest uh, grandson is fifteen, and uh, my younger guy Simon has uh, three kids. So uh, I hardly ever get to see them. And when I do see them, it's you know it's sort of like a, a snapshot, and that really ain't enough not yeah. to me anyhow. So. Uh, uh, you know, I've had a big family over at Madison Square Garden. They've been really like family to me. It's a lot of years and a lot of wonderful people. So uh, I, I'm trading one family for the other. And that's uh, that's great. Uh, how about you know, hockey wise? You you've been in the rink, you know, night in, night out. Are, are you going to be able to get that fixed still? Spending time in Portland well, and Israel. This is the hard to, hard to believe part. Uh, about an hour's drive from where my younger son Simon lives is an Olympic-sized ice rink called the Canada Center, and my three grandchildren are in the hockey program, and they uh, they actually play three and four times a week. So uh, I'm going to be uh, watching them quite a bit. Uh, as far as the NHL goes, we, uh, or I should say my son, has access to uh, the NHL package. I'll probably be watching more hockey there than I do here. Uh, what I'll be missing is the dressing room, mm-hmm. the dressing room, the press room, uh, that kind of excitement. But uh, I'll be very close, and I have a, uh, a newsletter, the official report that I do uh, 52 weeks a year, so I'm going to be uh, I'll continue doing that. And there's stuff, a lot of stuff that I can do from there that that will be NHL-oriented. So I'm not going to, you know, hockey is not going to be passing out of my life, that's for sure. No doubt. And and you've written over 100 books as well, uh, you know, on a variety of uh, subjects beyond just hockey, which uh, hopefully we'll get to in a little bit as we chat with uh, Stan Fischler of MSG. So how did it start as far as the TV side goes uh, the Islanders, they, they didn't have every game televised uh, initially from what I can gather. And then that playoff run in 1975, is that what started everything for you? Well, I had been doing two seasons with the New England Whalers. And uh, it was interesting because the dean of uh, New York sports writers was Marty Glickman. And I was in uh, Toronto doing a, a Whaler game with the Toronto Toros. It was March 75. And Marty called me up at the hotel, and he says, how would you like to do an Islanders game on television? I said, well, what are you kidding? I mean, to do an NHL game is what it's all about. And uh, he hooked me up with Charles Dolan. Uh, this is before Cablevision, or certainly before Sports Channel. And uh, Spencer Ross was my play-by-play guy, and we did the next-to-last Islander home game of the season 
uh, with Atlanta, and that was the game in which they clinched the playoff berth. And then we went up against the Rangers, and that was a colossal upset with uh, the uh, overtime goal, mm -hmm. uh, J.P. Parisi from Druin. And that created a lot of excitement. And then the next series was when they went down three games straight to Pittsburgh and then won the next four in a row, which was a phenomenal thing. And then they went up against the Flyers, and the same thing happened. They won. Uh, they lost the first three in a row. They won the next three. And then, of course, uh, Philly knocked them out. But by the time that seventh game was over, I mean, the Islanders were a big story. And, uh, of course, next season they drafted uh, Denny Potvin, and they kept moving up from there. And we kept doing the games. Yeah, that's the important part, right? And, uh, you know, I, I read Ken Dryden's book, and I don't, I don't remember the name of it off the top of my head, but he was part of the, you know, the Canadians dynasty right before the Islanders dynasty, and, and he wrote a, a story on his last season, which was the last year of the Canadians, uh, run there, four straight cups, and, and he saw the Islanders coming. You, you, you read the book, and, and he knew it felt like that the Islanders were going to be the next it team in the league. Uh, was it, that obvious that they could take over the league even before they won the first of four straight cups. Well, I know I know what Dryden saw because I was uh, doing the we were doing every game by that time. But you have to remember that there was a crisis over two seasons. Uh, in '78, they had what was considered the best team in the league over the regular season. They got knocked out uh, in Game Seven at Nassau by Toronto in uh, overtime that was the first blow and then uh, the year later they went up against the rangers and the rangers had this cinderella team and the rangers knocked them off in six david was in goal hedberg was fantastic for the blue shirts and uh, the word around there was one word that was attached to the islanders and that was choke so in order for them to really get the eminence that Kenny Dryden was projecting, they had to win the cup. And, of course, uh, that was four straight after that. But uh, what Dryden saw was a team that had Mike Bossy was doing like Maurice Rashad, and you had Gillies, and you had Trotje, and you had Danny Potvin, Billy Smith. So uh, this was, uh, this was a, a posse of Hall of Famers. Uh, you know, and we're talking again with Stan Fischler of MSG. Uh, how about the the fifth attempt uh, where they lost to the Edmonton Oilers? I always hear so much about the ones that the Islanders won. Uh, how about that fifth year? Was that team as talented as the previous four and, and just ran into the, the formidable Oilers who became that next dynastic team? Is that one that the Islanders should have had? Well, you got to remember that they had won 19 consecutive playoff series. And the word that goes with that is attrition. Mm. It was a tremendous, tremendous attack on the bodies of these guys. Uh, very short summers. You win the cup, and the next thing you know, training camp is beginning. And in, uh, I, I was telling a guy today that if I was running a hockey team, the sign that I would put in my dressing room uh, would be two words, no excuses. So there's no excuses about losing to Edmonton. Uh, the team was injury-riddled. Uh, one of my favorite islands is Bob Bourne, 
uh, had uh, a torn-up knee, and he kept begging Coach Al Arbor to put him in. And when it got down to the final game, which was the game where they were eliminated, uh, Arbor would not let him in. He uh, he simply said, "You're not you're not uh, fit to play." And so um, you have to be gracious, and you have to be uh, really realistic. And the Edmonton team was ready. They got knocked off in four straight by the Islanders the previous spring. Mm-hmm. Uh, they learned from it. Uh, I was very friendly with Kevin Lowe. I did his book, and uh, in the book he pointed out after the uh, fourth straight win uh, for the Islanders' fourth cup, the Oilers were walking past the Islanders' dressing room, and uh, they saw how beat up and how worn the Islanders were and and the price that they had to pay. And uh, the Oilers had been a little bit frivolous. They were younger guys and uh, not as disciplined. And um, Kevin said, and later Gretzky said, and Messier said that uh, they all looked in on the Islanders and saw that uh, uh, what they had to do on the Edmonton side to uh, up that intensity about 25%, and of course they did. Yeah, yeah, and uh, yeah, ended the Islanders' run there as we chat with uh, Stan Fischler. Uh, the Islanders now kind of a, a long way uh, from those uh, four straight Cubs. They've won one playoff series since 1993. Uh, currently, they've lost eight in a row. Uh, how about you know Tavares' situation? They've had you know you hit big in the number one pick. You, you get a star player that you could take there. He's been able to play with them nine years. They've made the playoffs three times. One playoff series win. As he heads towards free agency, do you have a read on where Tavares is at and how much more he wants from elsewhere in the organization to make it a, a true competitor? You know, my son in Israel, Simon, is a huge Islander fan. I think every other day he asks me the same question <laughs> you're asking, and uh, it's a legit question. And uh, uh, I have to be uh, totally honest on this thing. And that is, I don't. I haven't a clue. Yeah. I really haven't a clue. I don't think uh, there is anybody. You know, all the wise people and uh, the hockey writers in Canada who would do all the uh, the speculating. Uh, nobody knows, because at this point in time, I don't think uh, Tavares knows. Uh, I don't know what he's thinking. Everything he said so far, leading up, to, you know, over the year, over the season has been very positive about the team Mm -hmm. and about Long Island. But uh, we'll see what happens. Uh, I I think if you met a guy on uh, 42nd Street and Broadway today and you asked him uh, what's happening to Tavares, you'll get the same thing that I'm telling you. I don't know. Yeah, well, that'll be one of the big mysteries, but a, a huge thing uh, hanging over the Islanders franchise right now. Now, you're known as, as the hockey maven, Stan, but you've written uh, books on a variety of subjects, including the New York City subway. Is that a, a big passion of yours? Uh, how'd you come to you know write, write up on, on mass transit in this town? Very easy. When I was three years old, my mother went shopping. She took me with her. I lived in Brooklyn. We walked out onto Marcy Avenue, and there were a dozen guys digging up Marcy Avenue. I said, Ma, what's going on there? And she said, they're building a subway. And they built the what is now known as the G-Line, the Brooklyn-Queens Crosstown Line. They built it right under my house. In fact, the station 
the Myrtle Willoughby Station <laughs> was directly under my house, and when I was up in bed uh, at night about 10 o'clock, even though it was on the third floor, I could hear the train coming in. I could hear the brakes being applied. I could, I could, actually, I could almost uh, half the time hear the doors opening and closing. <laughs> so that was, you know, it was in my blood from uh, right at the, the beginning. And uh, we were pretty poor. We never owned a car, and uh, everything we did was uh, we took the subway everywhere. If we wanted to go to the garden to see a hockey game, jumped on the subway. We want to go to Coney Island the subway, and I got to uh, really love it. Uh, just love it. Uh, today I took the number one from uh, 110th up to 168th, and then the first thing I do is go to the front of the car, even though you can't see as well as you used to. Hmm. And it's all—it's in the blood. It's in the blood. The sounds uh, to me, or everything about it, is like a big deal. Hmm. No delays today. You're all right. Like if I put you in charge of fixing this thing, can you? Where would you start? Well, they've started. You see, what happened is that the. Parts of the system are 115 years old, yeah. and uh, <laughs> uh, a lot of the uh, things that should have been taken care of, like uh, you know, rebuilding or strengthening the tunnels or re, you know, re, uh, reacting to uh, storms, uh, were uh, put, to, put on hold, and now uh, they're paying the price, and that's why uh, every weekend there's uh, changes in the system. Um, but I believe that it will be done, it'll be fixed up right, and right now we're paying the price because of all these uh, delays, but it's something, you know, you can't, when you're dealing with uh, such a vital thing by the subway system, and it's so big and so important to people, you can't uh, play ostrich and put your head in the sand and say, it'll be okay tomorrow, you got to take care of it now. Yeah, and uh, I wish you were in charge over the years. You would have been in a better spot, maybe, as far as that goes. Uh, finally, for you, Stan, you know, when, when people leave TV, oftentimes, uh, you know, like David Letterman and, and Conan O'Brien did this, they, they're so excited they don't have to shave anymore. They grow a huge beard. Now, you, you've always had the beard. What, uh, is there anything, you know, non TV that you're excited about? You're going to grow it out? Maybe, do you shave it? Uh, what, uh, what do you I think? I do that? shave it. I do shave it. And uh, I shave it at least uh, once a week. And uh, no, I'm not. Well, gonna... you're not going to shave the whole beard. That's what I meant. No, I'm shave not, it I'm off. Sh- no, I trim it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It. And um, when I broke in uh, uh, doing Isles games, the the beard was a lot bigger, and uh, I got more attentive to uh, keeping it trimmed. <laughs> so um, I'll probably wear ties less. <laughs> I do now. There you go. That's a win. Uh, Stan Fischler, and uh, we look forward to, to continue to see you write about uh, hockey and uh, really enjoy and take in the, the next few weeks as far as the TV goes. But uh, we appreciate the time tonight, Stan. Thank you. I enjoyed it. All right. Great stuff. Stan Fischler, uh, you know, hockey maven and, uh, you know, reporting legend, of course, in this town. 45 years at MSG. Who works anywhere in media? 45 years uh, at this point. But, uh, and voluntarily, you know, moving, um, you know, to, to spend more time with his grandchildren, which is, uh, great to hear. So, you know, best of luck to Stan in the future.